call please uh, district one Commissioner, uh, Commissioner Rich is here yeah. district two Commissioner Bogan district Commissioner Bogan just got in. Okay. District three. Here. District four. Commissioner Fisher's here. District five. Gower here. District six. Here. Seven. Eight. Here. Okay. We do have a quorum. The only person that we seem to be missing is Commissioner Ryan. I believe he's coming in. Uh, he might be in the back already. Uh, if we would all stand, he's, please. He's probably eating. <laughs> he's up. All right. Good morning, everyone. This is the Broad County Board of County Commissioners meeting of April, Tuesday, April 7th. And we're going to have uh, Commissioner Bogan lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance while he's standing. 
I pledge allegiance to the flag, to the flag of the United States of America, America to, the republic, to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And I actually did stand up. <laughs> if you could remain standing, please. Yes, please. Uh, is there anyone from the community that's notable that uh, has passed that we need to uh, recognize? Uh, Commissioner Sharif. Yes, Mayor. Um, first and foremost, I would like us to remember the two officers that passed away this weekend. BSO Deputy Shannon Bennett passed away Friday night from coronavirus. He was a 12-year veteran with the BSO. And most recently, the school resource officer at Deerfield Beach Elementary. Deputy Bennett was 39 years old and was instrumental in leading the initiative to further establish unity between law enforcement and the LGBTQ community. On Saturday, Palm Beach County Sheriff's Officer Sergeant Jose Diaz Ayala, 38, died from the coronavirus. He was a 14-year veteran with Palm Beach County Sheriff's Department and worked in the Corrections Division. Sergeant Diaz was 38 years old and leaves behind three daughters. And last week, I wanted to talk a little bit and remember our first responders and um, our nurse, Ms. Araceli Buendia Ilagan, a longtime nurse at Miami Jackson Memorial Hospital. She died last week due to complications from COVID-19. Araceli worked in the hospital's intensive care unit and dedicated nearly 33 years of her life treating critically ill patients. Araceli was 63 and lived in Pembroke Pines. She is survived by her husband and five siblings, which are all nurses too. Please keep their families and friends and coworkers in your thoughts and prayers. We need to continue praying for our first responders, responders, medical personnel, as well as all of our elected officials as we continue to deal with this pandemic on a daily basis. Thank you. Anyone else? I, had, I got a text yesterday, I didn't get the details, but one of our nurses at uh, Florida Mem uh, Medical Center uh, passed away also from the virus. Uh, let us also honor all the brave men and women who have served and continue to serve in our armed forces, both here and abroad, and, and thank them for their service, and also thank our medical personnel and first responders for their service as we face this virus. A moment of silence, please. Thank you. And welcome to April 7th commission meeting. And thank you for joining us today to promote social distancing and avoid risk of additional community spread. This commission meeting is not open to physical attendance by members of the public, the media, or general county staff. Only county commissioners and those county employees required to attend the event at the express direction of the county administrator, county attorney, or county auditor may be physically present at this meeting. In order to reduce the risk created by gathering in person and to underscore the consistent guidance issued by governmental entities, including the CDC and this county, some of our members have agreed to participate by telephone as well, and we're appreciative of their decision. Members of the public wishing to speak on an item on the agenda may do so by signing up on the county's website at registertospeak 
www.broward.org. This link is being displayed on your screen now. To utilize this public participation option, following the instructions on the website, you must have access to the internet, a working email address to receive your confirmation code, and a telephone to dial in to the meeting using the special number you will be given when you register. You can sign up to speak on an item until 10.30 a.m. this morning. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be that quick. Uh, uh, we have no proclamations today. Uh, we'll open the meeting this morning uh, with the county administrator's update on COVID-19. Following that update, we will read the Monday night memo and take polls from the consent agenda, including polls from the public. Again, any member of the public who wishes to speak on an item must be registered online no later than 10.30 a.m. County Administrator. Thank you, Mayor, Commissioners. Uh, I'm gonna start this morning with um, a message to our employees. Um, I have been made aware uh, that there is um, information circulating suggesting that um, the county, for whatever reason, would not inform employees of an individual who has tested positive for COVID-19. So I just think it's important that I, that I address that directly. Um, I have a column that's out, but, but I'm gonna, just for the benefit of you all as well. So if anyone knows how um, virulent this disease is, it would be me. And there's absolutely no incentive for us not to let our employees know if someone tests positive. So basically the process is if an employee, whether at work or at home, um, indicates to um, um, his leadership, wherever that might be, that they are not feeling well and they think and they have symptoms of COVID-19, um, we immediately get them tested immediately. And the health department has been very good to us because they know that they also depend on our employees to help them um, through this process. So they, um, they are tested and once that, and, and the health department has the ability to get the test um, obviously much sooner than, than some of the other, um, other entities. But as soon as um, that person, uh, if, if he or she tests positive, they immediately do an epidemiological uh, tracing and they identify the employees that have come in close contact um, with that individual. And those employees are notified directly by the health department with one exception. Once they have notified those employees, we immediately send them home to um, um, self-isolate. Uh, we inform them. We, we, um, support um, any effort on our part to um, help them make sure that they are not in any way harmed by this disease. There was one, inst uh, one incident, uh, instance, I'm sorry, whereby um, an employee tested positive 
and the health department did the epidemiological review the way that they normally do. Um, but they said to us, this is you know, around seven or eight o'clock at night, can you inform those employees so they don't come to work the next day? And that was the only time that they, we decided to make sure that those employees knew, and so we called them at home. Other than that, the county is really not involved. Um, while we may um, have information um, regarding some of, uh, clearly those employees that need to be at home, um, we let them go at home. And as you have seen, and I will repeat again, we have not um, required any employee to work if they're not comfortable. If they're not comfortable um, working for whatever reason, they have children, they have whatever the situation is, uh, once again, we have said that we have been um, extremely liberal. I don't want to ask, there's no questions asked. If they have leave, they, they are allowed to take it, whether it's sick, vacation, whatever it is, um, if they feel uh, uncomfortable in any way. Um, fortunately, um, stimulus, um, uh, the stimulus packet that um, the Congress passed recently uh, provides some additional support for our employees. We immediately put that information out to our employees. That's on top of that. We're not um, in any way uh, trying to say that because it has some limitations on the income that you can pay. If you, um, you want to use the stimulus, we allow you to use the stimulus and we let you backfill the stimulus with your own leave as well. So you are not harmed uh, financially in any way. So um, I just, I needed to, to, to put that out there because I want to make sure that, and I'm sure you all know, but there is absolutely no incentive for us to allow employees to work if they're not, if they're sick or to infect other people. We have um, uh, many of our employees that are now um, telecommuting, and um, you know we we certainly support that where that's done. We have employees that um, work, and we've done as much as we could to do the social. Colleagues, would you mute your phones, please? To do the social distancing. Um, um, on Friday, the CDC came out with um, uh, new guidance as it relates to masks, because if you uh, recall, they, they were concerned that a lot of the masks would be um, taken um, and would not be available for um, doctors and nurses and healthcare um, workers. Um, but they changed that guidance. We now are, um, have placed our orders so to make sure that any of our employees that are um, frontline that would, um, would need masks, um, that they, we would make them available uh, to them on our end. And um, I have um, met with my management team uh, yesterday, uh, virtually of course, and we've, we've looked at one other alternative um, to allow employees um, to, and I, I, to thin out a little bit more. Um, um, our HR department is working with labor right now. It's not something I can do unilaterally, so we're gonna be reaching out to all of our labor to make sure um, that this can be implemented and it'll be implemented as quickly as possible. When you said labor, you mean labor unions? Our labor unions, Broward County's um, um, bargaining units. Okay. Yeah, because they affect our employees. But it's once again, um, one more step in on our end to um, 
make sure that we do everything that we can for our employees. So the second thing I wanted to talk about was the Zan Dam and the Rotterdam. Uh, uh, sometime here shortly, um, the Zan Dam will be leaving our port. Um, as you recall, uh, we um, entered into an agreement with Carnival to make sure that um, all of the passengers on that um, on both of those ships um, had safe passage back to their communities. And um, we uh, have allowed them to stay a little bit longer because there have been significant progress in reducing the no total number of passengers. So from the over 1250, 1260 that, that we began with, we're now down to 43. And um, of the 43, as you can imagine, some of those individuals have um, loved ones who are in, in hospitals in the region. So whether it's Broward or Miami-Dade or whomever. Um, and so they're, they're well, they're not, they're not sick, but they're not ready to go and leave their loved ones here in, in, uh, in the region. Um, and I do have a number on that one. It's about 17 of the 43. There are 19 that they are still working on arrangements to get them home. Um, many of, um, as you can imagine, um, they're working with some of the other countries that they are having to coordinate with. Um, it's taken a little longer than they had anticipated, but um, uh, the numbers, that once again, are going in the right direction. And, um, and then there's about, seven today that will be leaving out of MIA. So the numbers are going down and um, uh, one of the ships will be leaving today. The one ship is remaining and we are working with them day by day to make sure that the numbers keep going in the right direction. So um, I am pleased that um, we were able to work out something with um, Holland America. Um, and uh, our community to make sure that um, the commitments that we made to the community, that we were able to live up to those, uh, to those commitments. Uh, I touched on the, um, the, uh, the expanded uh, FMLA and emergency paid leave. This is, again, the, the support that's coming from the stimulus. I think what is important for us to know about that, um, again, is that uh, we've pushed that out to all of our employees so um, they can read. Uh, we have contact information if they have any questions, if they need to take advantage of it. Once again, we're gonna support them in that endeavor. It has caps on salaries in some instances and it has, um, depending on whether you're sick or you're taking care of a loved one. And once again, I say to our employees that uh, we would allow um, their current leave to backstop um, anything so that their so that their compensation um, remains the same. Uh, so, from a service delivery standpoint, um, uh, as you well know, we have uh, Bark, and um, Bark um, has uh, right now it's it's full, but we are um, we're really struggling to make sure that we have the type of of separation that you need uh, in a facility like that. So um, between having, a, uh, again, having uh, a shortage of nurses, 
um, and other medical professionals to assist and to um, make sure that we keep the separation. Um, we're going to just sort of systematically, we're not putting anybody out that's there today, but we're gonna try to thin that out a little bit it will remain open, we will continue to provide services, but we may end up with something maybe like 50% of where we are right now until um, we have um, more of our support back and we can spread um, individuals out again. Um, that, uh, we'd like to start that um, in the next day or so. The good news is um, uh, we're not just leaving them out there. Um, we have um, a, a medical detox uh, program, and much to my surprise, it's highly utilized and people um, really find it helpful. Um, they don't, um, um, they can come and they can get their, their medicine and, um, and still um, have their, their counseling virtually. And, um, and so that's been working. So we'll keep you uh, apprised um, of that. And um, <laughs> thank you, Commissioner Ryan. <laughs> Only if you need to. Um, so anyway, um, so we're looking, um, we're looking at that. We don't want to leave anybody out. We, we want to continue um, our services, but we want to do it safely. Um, libraries. Uh, a lot of people at home. Um, we have launched the, uh, I guess, I didn't know about it. It's called the uh, Canopy Streaming. So Broward County Library is in the streaming business. So we have up to 30,000 film and documentaries that, uh, which are a library card, you can download and do uh, the streaming. So uh, that service has really taken off and, and we just wanna let everybody know that it exists there. And from a week ago, we have found uh, homes for another 79 of our animals. So people um, are finding a way to share, uh, share the love. This, there are, uh, the only executive order um, that, um, has, um, that we have issued um, since the last time we were here, and it has to do with, again, really helping our businesses enforce social distancing and pools. I've got more calls about the, the pools and um, I, what I want to say to um, those that are really frustrated about that. We had a lot of pool parties. People were calling us. Um, they're behind closed walls, I guess, and they're having pool parties and it was becoming um, a major, major concern for many of our um, uh, condominium associations. They don't know who they're, many of them, they're residents, but there are people there that they don't know. And so anyway, it, it was becoming much of a problem um, that they were uh, closed in, um, in the two counties, uh, one north and south. And um, it was just something that was becoming more and more untenable. Um, over time, um, um, when you, um, and I, we're all tracking what's happening with Broward and um, the, the good news, if there's good news, and there is a little bit, we're not doubling the way that we were. Um, uh, I'm not saying we have reached um, a point where we flatten out, it's still going up, but it's certainly not spiking the way that it was. It you know, made you very uncomfortable when you see how quickly those numbers were jumping. We're still, we're still testing um, 
Um, and we'll continue to do that, and we're continuing to, mo to monitor that. Um, we believe we'll have, um, just like New York and other places, we're planning for a hospital surge. We're hoping that it's not going to be as dramatic as what you've seen um, in um, other parts of the, the, the Northeast and, and Midwest. Um, our health department jumped on it pretty quickly and started, um, you know, getting people separated and tested and the, and the like. And, um, you know, and we really appreciate um, the relationship that we have just to make sure that um, our first responders, once again, um, Memorial um, is still the partner with um, the, the testing site at um, C.B. Smith Park. Um, I understand that uh, North Broward is looking to do another t um, testing site here in the central part of our county. Um, Cleveland Clinic is still um, using um, their facility. And best, wish, um, best wishes to Dan Sturmer. Um, um, I, I received the text like many other people that he um, was tested, you know, he tested positive for that. And since he's told everybody, I feel like it's, it's okay to do that, but, um, you know, best wishes to him. And at this point, I'll ask, uh, answer any questions you might have. Mr. Mayor, please put me in the queue. Yes. Uh, Mr. Mayor, can you put me in the queue, please? Okay, I'll go around the, the, the list. Uh, <coughs> County Administrator, let me thank you and uh, <coughs> Director West for working with us on getting that site set up at uh, Central Broward Regional Park and, and thank Broward Health, the Urban League, and in great part, uh, Mr. Shane Strom of the governor's office, uh, emergency management director, Jared Moskowitz, uh, uh, Mr. Gina Santorio, and the governors for allowing us to set this site up and giving us the additional test kits needed to get that site at Central Broad. The site at Sample Road at the Festival Market will be reopened also and testing uh, for first responders. So I'm, I'm grateful that we're able to get that. I'll start on my list. Uh, just one one comment, Mayor, because um, on, one on a municipal call. And, and um, Lauderhill. Uh, yeah, in yesterday. Lauderhill was, uh, um, I, um, um, I just needed to clarify because, uh, because I think there's some confusion. The county's role is simply where we can to provide a venue. Um, I think there was um, some misinformation that suggested that we were the ones that determine when and if and how, um, um, that's not the case. We, we do not have any testing um, equipment at all um, or supplies. These are done um, with the state in conjunction with the hospital that would have the personnel to do that. So I, um, I know a number of municipalities have asked if they could get one and, and again, I think the best way to uh, attempt to do that would be to make sure that they're working with a, with a, with a, uh, the hospital districts or some medical professional because, um, again, our role has just simply been to provide the, the venue and make sure that it's, that, it's, um, that it's available and that it would work without creating a lot of problems. But that's the, the extent of our role in that. Yes, and I, and I think it's appropriate that we have a site in Central County, North County, and South County. I looked at the... Uh, uh, 
health map, the Florida health map uh, yesterday and 333028, I think down in Pembroke Pines, had a large number of uh, folks. It was in red. And the other zip code that was in red was 33311. Uh, so having the site spread out like that, I think is helpful. And again, thanks to the governor's office and to Broad Health, uh, Lord Hill, and uh, everyone who were involved with helping making this happen. I'll start with uh, Commissioner Rich. Any comments? Any? I just uh, thank you so much, uh, County Administrator, for the update. Um, I just really wanted to comment um, uh, on the bark situation. I want to thank uh, uh, Kim Campbell and um, uh, the people, our, our staff with uh, Health and Human Services. Um, it's a kind of a painful thing to have to um, shut down some of the beds, but um, I think because of safety uh, for the clients, for the people that are coming in there, and due to the shortage of nurses, as you mentioned, uh, there's just not a lot of um, a lot of options for the for the moment. Um, and uh, but I, I I think it is important to note that uh, we do have Borer, which is where people do go, uh, and uh, um, uh, and they will have a place and they will have uh, assessments and so forth. So uh, we're not just, you know, putting people out, uh, which is to me the most important thing, that we're, we're trying as be the best we can to make sure that they get some kind of service. So I just want to thank you for that and also for the sensitivity with, you know, that uh, Kim and her staff uh, exhibit whenever they're dealing with a human service issue like this. Thanks. Uh, Vice Mayor Gala. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, a couple of uh, series of questions for the county administrator. First, a, a comment, actually. Uh, um, I did want to, you mentioned the Zandam and I guess the Rotterdam as well. Uh, I did want to congratulate you, county attorney, uh, deputy county administrator, etc. I think that we dealt with that process as well as we could. Uh, showing a humanitarian side while at the same time protecting the citizens of Broward. And I did want to thank county administration for all the hard work. Uh, I know the hours that you put in on that, and I think we came out with the best possible resolution on that. Um, I had a couple of questions, actually two topics. First, um, Ms. Henry, at the beginning, you uh, were talking about, uh, I think, uh, some comments that had been made by uh, one of the uh, unions, uh, the I think the bus one, about um, failing to report um, the uh, about people that were ill. And I understand that, obviously, to a large degree, a lot of the issues with that, besides what you dealt with, are HIPAA. You cannot tell people. Um, about other people's illnesses within certain limits. But there were two other questions that they had that I'd like you to address. One is there were allegations that there was no hand sanitizer or wipes. And secondly, that there were uh, not HEPA filters on the buses to protect them from, uh, I guess, the COVID-19. My understanding from having spoken with staff is that there has been hand sanitizer, and additionally, that uh, I don't understand what the HEPA filters would do, because I think that would prevent 
outside air from coming in, which I don't think would prevent anybody from getting uh, the coronavirus. Could you address the HEPA filter and lack of sanitizer issues? So let me start with the, the um, hand sanitizers issues. Um, The department has, and I'm going to talk transportation at the moment, because as you can see in this building, you see it everywhere. And in Gov Center West, you can see hand sanitizers everywhere. We are, we're actually reaching out, calling um, our, our departments to make sure that they have it. If they, don't, if they don't even reach out to us, we're reaching out. And I know that I've done, uh, done that a number of times myself. Um, as it relates to uh, transportation, each of the bus drivers were given um, their own hand sanitizer and the ability to refill it whenever um, it's low. What I would say to you, if some, um, um, if there, if anyone has any concerns uh, about what they what they have or don't have. Um, they just need to let us know because there's no there's no incentive for us not to provide the employees with what they need. Our goal, um, as you recall, when we reduced the um, 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 the the number of uh, routes that we were um, out providing service, we changed the system so that the bus drivers themselves didn't have to. Um, interact with the with the with the passengers just to, once again to try to keep them safe. I'm not aware that changing um, a HEPA filter on a bus um, would in any way, shape, or form help um, address this issue. Um, one thing that was brought to my attention um, th um, to this morning was that there are a couple of routes that um, seem to be a little bit more crowded. Um, and we, I know we've been monitoring that. We'll get the get the that route and try to thin that out just a little bit uh, again, so people can have room to sit out. But you know, our goal is to try to keep our employees safe. And I'm not aware of um, of any other uh, issues that they're having. But they certainly um, have no problem. I've had certain number of my unions reach out to me if they felt like they needed something, and we've immediately addressed it. There's no incentive for us not to. As long as we're able to get it, and we're now able to get hand sanitizers as much as you can, you can get. That's no longer a problem. Um, we're on our masks now. Um, our bus drivers and our, a lot of our um, those employees had always had um, access to uh, to maps, um, masks because of um, what they, um, you know, the, the the type of activity and the the interaction that they were having. Um, but once the CDC changed, we're going to make it available now to all of our employees, anyone that wants a uh, mask. Um, so my comments well, on well, that. That was my understanding. That clarified. Thank you. Um, I am th thank you. And the one other question that I had is I've received a certain amount of correspondence, which actually does make sense to me. I'm just not sure what control we have over it about uh, the prison here, obviously, or I should say the county jail. Obviously, we don't, we only operate jails, not prisons, because prisons are state, jails are county. Um, I have seen some correspondence, which again, um, raises what I think are legitimate questions about the, the uh, 
county jail and disgusting increased diversion on nonviolent crime because you know obviously uh, the the county jail would be a a very easy place for COVID-19 to spread. Again, I'm not sure to what degree the county commission has authority over that. Can you comment on that? And is there anything that we will be able to do? Obviously, if there is, it would have to come up at our next meeting where we'd have to vote on something. But is there anything that we can do to uh, try and keep uh, keep people that have been accused of crimes from going into the county uh, jail and or improved conditions or at the jail in a way that would uh, lessen the risk for the people there, many of whom have never been convicted of anything. They're there only awaiting trial um, to make sure that they have a lower risk of getting COVID-19. So one of the um, the uh, my daily conversations um, with the health department is okay. We're the hot spots, and uh, and and obviously anything that's associated with Broward County, um, we're concerned about it. Um, as uh, as you well know, the jail, um, the the county's jailer is the sheriff, and the health department advises me that they have and been that's doing. Why I do about it. Right. Uh, the, uh, Dr. Thatcher has advised me that um, the things that, sh that they have, that she has asked them to do, that they have been doing it. So when you restrict people coming into the jail, um, you know, testing and separating um, um, inmates that can't be um, released for whatever reason, and it's um, it's my understanding, but I will get you an update um, that there has been communication between the judiciary and and um, the jails about letting nonviolent offenders um, out just so that they can reduce the population. I'll get you an update um, for our next briefing. And, and vice yes, mayor, thank you, ma'am. And yeah. vice mayor, oh, sorry, uh, just to conclude, yes, sir. In in my Thank conversation and in other public statements, the sheriff uh, has, uh, Sheriff Tony has stated that instead of arresting people, he's given civil citations and notice to appear. And uh, at the last time I spoke with him, the numbers uh, of people in jail has been reduced uh, and he's working to ensure again that civil citation and notice to appear are issued so that people don't get locked up for minor stuff. Well, I appreciate that, Mr. Mayor. That is my concern. And just in closing, uh, County Administrator, if there is anything that the commission itself needs to do in this area, as opposed to the judiciary and the sheriff, if there is anything that the commission can do, I would appreciate if you would let us know in time to try and put something on the agenda for the next commission meeting. And I'm now, Mr. Mayor, I'm now done. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, and, and, and I just, I hope that other police department are following the same uh, operational uh, work of the sheriff's office by giving civil citation and notice to appear. I know that we were not issuing as many civil citations as we could previous. Now would be a good time for our police departments uh, throughout the county to uh, do more of that. Thank you. Amen. <laughs>
Uh, Vice uh, Commissioner Bogan. Yeah, hi. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, I wanted to just ask uh, the administrator if she can clarify one thing. I appreciate. Um, um, Bertha, if you and I work in the same department and let's say we work close, you know, I may live, I may work in the next cubicle or wherever I might work near you. Let's say I'm, I, I'm sick or I call in sick or I tell my supervisor I'm concerned I have the virus and I get tested positive. Will you be notified by the county? I, I think you mentioned earlier by the Department of Health. But will a supervisor say there's somebody in your department without giving my name that you may have come in contact with? Will, will the county do that or is it only the Department of Health? So there, um, the, there was one instance where we did it because the information came late and we didn't want the employees uh, to come to work, but that's, that's a communication between the health department and those employees that they deem um, to be uh, in, in need of self-isolation. So we haven't really done that. Um, the communication tr it's truly has been between the health department um, and um, the individual. And then the, um, once they've done their epidemiological study and tracing, they reach out to those employees that they um, directly, they may get some information from us, like a phone number if they need to, but they reach out to them directly so that they can answer all of the questions that we, we wouldn't necessarily be qualified to answer. And, and don't you think that delay, once they do their study and once they reach out, where the county could have reached out much sooner and much quicker, don't, doesn't that delay potentially pose a, a, a more of a spread, a spread issue? Because by me, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm determined to be positive and that, that my supervisor that day can tell people or, or at least warn people that someone in your department versus the health department may take three, four days, several days before they 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 nail down the person, the employee, they contact that person, the other employees. Doesn't that delay pose more of a risk? So in some instances, um, um, we, um, we're we delayed in getting the information from the employee. Oftentimes the employee may call um, from um, their home and we're not aware of it. Um, and in some instances, as soon as they find out, and, uh, and again, I would say that they that the health department has been very uh, responsive to us. We get the test back as quickly, um, you know, as they can turn it around. And we once that employee tells us that they're not feeling well, we do not let them come back into the workplace. We immediately um, sanitize um, the area where they were in. Sometimes they do test positive. Sometimes they don't. Um, but our uh, immediate reaction is to get them, um, um, uh, not to allow them in the, uh, in the environment, and we clean, and then we um, get the information that we have. Once again, um, okay, I think I'm, you... I'm sorry, to, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's not my question. I understand you guys do great efforts in sanitizing and, and all that. What my question has to do is not with the person who tested positive, but the county supervising that, that department, because um, I, I think I saw some type of memo from your HR saying that the supervisor of a department should let employees know if somebody tests positive. And so what you're saying, I think, is different. You're saying, uh, unless at one instance, you're saying you're waiting for the Department of Health after they do their study and the person tests positive or whatever they're doing, they're tracing, 
then obviously they have to contact you to get the employee's phone numbers, and then they have to get in touch with the employees when that can all be shortcutted very quickly. I'm talking about protecting the other employees. And, and I think that we have a bad, I think if that's, if we're not doing that, I think it's, we, we should be doing that by saying, hey, hey guys, somebody in this department tested positive, um, you know, whatever the protocol for that is, they should be notified right away. My opinion, I think the delay can only be a, a detriment. It can't be positive. And I urge that you consider, you know, doing that. So the extent to which that is within our purview to do, I don't have any issues with doing that. But again, um, you, the, the, the notification comes in so many different ways. And the, um, the initial contact is between the employee and um, the health department. It's not with us. They tell us, hey, I don't feel good. We say, you know, go get tested. But we have no idea um, what's going on. That in person is not coming back to work until that's done. And, and they usually turn it around for us um, pretty quickly. So I don't, um, extent to which I get information quickly and I can do that, I'm happy to do that. I mean, it doesn't, um, it doesn't, um, create um, a real problem, but I don't want to somehow someone turns out not to and, and we've, we have, you know, we have created an environment where that person now is stigmatized. Yeah. So um, I'll look yeah, at the process I'm not, again. I'm not asking you to, no, I'll look first at, I'm not asking you to jump the gun or anything. I'm not asking you to jump the gun and overreact. All I'm just saying is if we do know, if we know that somebody tested positive, I just feel that they should, we shouldn't be waiting for the health department to notify our employees that our, our department heads and the supervisors should be notifying people in that department as quickly as possible. That's all my message is. Okay, thank you. Uh, Commissioner Fisher. Thank you, Mayor. I uh, just want to revisit two items. Um, first of all, Ms. Henry, thank you for clarifying the testing clarification as far as what we are providing and what the other outside folks are providing. Uh, Mayor, you had mentioned the Festival Flea Market site that uh, would be reopening because I'm receiving, of course, multiple requests when that is happening. I understand the Broward Health ran out of tests, and I understand that, but do you have any insight that it would be opening very soon? Yes, uh, so they ran out of tests. I, I, I made an appeal to uh, uh, Director Jared Moskowitz to uh, resupply them and also to Chief of Staff to the Governor Shane Strom and they assured me that they would get the test. I spoke to uh, President CEO of Broad Health, uh, Gino Santorio, and he said that he had gotten communication and would be getting them and I know that those sites should be open no later than this week. Uh, the, the site at uh, Festival uh, and the site at Central Broad Regional. There's a, a schedule now for reopening, I think, Wednesday, uh, hopefully no later than Thursday of those uh, two sites. Oh, you broke up on me. I did hear that last part. Uh, we should so be... You're saying that this... We should, on, the, on the North Broward site, the Festival Flea Market, we should have that later this week? We should be, I'm expecting uh, Wednesday or Thursday, no later than Thursday this week for them to be reopened. For the festival Excellent. to Thank be you, reopened and for the new effort. site to be added in. Okay, great. And Ms. Henry, just real quick on the jail matter, you had mentioned 
given us an update on 421, our next meeting. Can we get that sooner than that? Yes, I, I, I will reach out um, to um, the sheriff and the chief judge to see if there's anything else that, that I'm not, information that we're not um, privy to. Um, but the, um, the lion's share of my conversations have been with the health department to make sure that um, they're following the guidance of the CDC and um, you know, as of my last briefing on that, which is admittedly three or four days ago, they were. Excellent. Thank you, Mayor. Now, Commissioner, that uh, site at Festival, uh, I'm still by President CEO Santorio, will be targeted towards first responders. Okay. All right. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Sharif. Um, thank you, Ms. Henry, for all of your hard work. That's it. Commissioner Udine. Just a couple of things that I want to mention. I had sent Monica the email on the bus that we're getting, and I know it's a very, very difficult uh, situation as far as how, the, how it's spaced out, but there are certain areas within the county right now that I'm getting calls on that the buses are crowded because essential workers need to get to work and that's a way for them to do that. So if that can be looked at through uh, Chris Walton and them to maybe to put relievers. It, I, we can, and, and that's something we will take, quickly take a look at. The second thing, um, so I'm, I, I get a lot of e um, calls and contacts by employees on both sides um, of different issues, and not just in government, but employees in the private sector. So I'm, I'm glad for what you said, because no employee of Broward County will lose anything during this time is kind of what I'm understanding you're saying. So the, 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 we want everybody to be healthy, work in a healthy environment, reduce the spread. So if there's a Broward County employee that, for one reason or another, needs time, they're going to get the time that they need. So, if there's a um, an employee, let me just um, just clarify. So, we have um, uh, policies where you have vacation leave, you have sick leave, and there are requirements for using either one. Right. We suspended all of the requirements, so to speak. So, if you if you have it and you're not comfortable working then you can be at home. And many of them have taken advantage of that. That's, um, then um, on top of, um, of that, I had some employees that said, well, I don't have any time. And, and we said, are you sick if you're, you're having any issues? Because we have um, a very generous workforce where people donate leave. And if you are really sick, people will donate to you. If you've been um, um, outside of that, if you're relatively new and you don't have time, um, the stimulus um, um, packet um, provided at least two weeks, and in some instances um, uh, more, depending upon your 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 situation, whereby um, it's on top of whatever else you have. So I have not, um, and, and every now and then someone says, well, I asked my supervisor, and they said no, and I take care of that right away. Sometimes the message is getting down. But anyone with leave that wants to go home, um, we're, we're not letting anybody work that's not comfortable doing it. Great. I'm glad to hear that because 
Um, I think when we get through the other side of this, it's going to be um, extremely gratifying to be a county employee because from what I'm hearing from employees in the private sector, they're not being treated in the same way. So I understand and I, and I respect your position and I respect the employee's position, but being a county employee is going to be a major benefit um, as we move through this because based on what you're telling me, no county employee has been financially hurt through any of this episode. I'm not aware of any. Unfortunately, we can't say that in the private sector because I know many, many employees that have been severely hurt, many small business owners severely hurt. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, the next thing that I wanted to, if, if, if this can be done, and I, I kind of mentioned this to you this morning, I don't know the right way to do this, but maybe there is somebody or an email in the purchasing department where all of us could have that as kind of a repository in a way, because I know like everybody else, I'm, you're probably getting emails from people that want to get in the queue to sell mm -hmm. personal protective equipment. I'm kind of forwarding them to Monica or Jared or this one or that one. It's probably not the right way to do it because it slows everybody up. If you could give us a, something where we can have a purchasing email where we can say, Listen, I forward this on there, and they can vet and make sure these things are real or not real. Yes, we're getting a we're getting a uh, a lot of them, and um, and it wouldn't surprise you that some are not legitimate. Right. So it does require a major vetting of of um, of who we're getting and and where they uh, where they are legitimate. Um, uh, you you still have to shop around because, again, masks that used to be sixty nine cents now you know running two dollars and and right. the, the and that's and and that's a lot of what we're dealing with. Right. So just if you have something where we I will way, get that to we you. We don't miss it. We can send it on, and somebody can vet it somewhere so it can at least go to an official response somehow. Um, Commissioner, this is Monica. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. I wanted to also let you know, and Bertha, um, those emails that I'm getting from commissioners and outside, we are, um, I have sent those on, and we have a master spreadsheet of all of the um, contacts and vendors that you guys have all forwarded to me. And so all of those are being appropriately vetted. Um, but yeah, maybe a, a central email might be better. Uh, but I did want to let you know that those are being all handled, and we have tracking of everything, and they're all being vetted. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying whether they need to be or not. Some of the emails that I've seen looks like they probably don't even need to be vetted and can be destroyed. I mean, some of them you can tell, but I just don't want to miss anything if there's something that we should be doing. Um, I just want to make sure, um, and I, I'm probably pretty sure that you would have this under your emergency powers that have been delegated. I pray that we don't need this, but in the event that we do need to use one of our facilities as kind of like a surge medical facility, I see Dade County is doing that in some, you would have the ability to do that without convening us for a meeting first if, if they wanted to use a county building. So the good news is that um, um, we are preparing for surge activities now, so that's not something that you can do right away. Um, uh, that's been the the this past weekend um, interactions between ourselves and the, and the health department. So you do have the involvement of the medical community 
and everyone else. So we're we're um, making those plans um, as we speak. As you know, that there is a facility that is um, that the state has. Um, um, provided uh, to Broward County up on um, Commercial Boulevard. And that mission has changed. At once it was going to be more like a respite, but now they're, you know, the health department was successful in getting that to be an actual place for treatment. So um, we're gearing up, and our hospitals um, are... Um, you know, one of the things that you learn is that you have uh, you have a rated capacity for the number of beds for your hospital. But when you when you're doing when you're in this type of environment, you'd be surprised what turns out to be hospital rooms, <laughs> conference rooms, and everything else. So um, it's been interesting uh, to to say the least. But um, uh, our community is gearing up. Should we have one, we should be able to to at least uh, meet our needs and, and spool up when we, when we feel like we're running into problems. And, and by the way, a lot of those assets that are physically in Miami-Dade are regional assets. So we're trying to coordinate with Miami-Dade, making sure that both counties aren't dependent on the same assets. So it requires a lot of coordination and a lot of conversation. Okay, I'm almost done, but one, one thing that I also keep getting, and I, I just wanted to bring this up, um, is what we're doing, and I know you're working on it with your team, but the homeless population, because that is becoming more and more of an issue nationwide as this goes. So I, I, don't, I don't pretend to have the answer. I know nobody really has the answer, but no just something does. that I, I think you need to make sure that our human services people, like I know they are, are on top of it. And I'm just gonna yeah. close with one comment and I know you brought it up, I believe in, in, in praising in public and criticizing in private, and this is one that deserves praise. Um, I think that the Rotterdam and Zandam issue that we had, I think that the county commission, the county attorney, and county administration handled that very well, even up to a point where there were some people on the commission that wanted to be more, more, put more pressure on the cruise line, whatever it is, I think that the result that came out of that was positive. I think it put Broward County in a good light. I was watching one of the federal press conferences and listening to the federal uh, leadership explaining about how they handled this, and I, I was watching in disbelief. <laughs> this was handled by Broward County, by our Broward County Attorney's Office, by our Broward County Administrator, I, I must compliment Sheriff Tony on this. The operational plan was flawlessly put in place. The captain from the Coast Guard. So we got zero help from the federal government on this. Um, and I'm a county. Oh, you mean you mean they didn't uh, fix this thing and make it? They didn't fix it. We fixed uh, it. And I'm a county commissioner, um, like all you guys. I'm getting calls from ambassadors to New Zealand and ambassadors from Australia on my cell phone. I mean, it shouldn't have been coming to us, but I'm glad that you were able to get it done. And as somebody who was very much um, one of the stricter voices on this, I think that the, 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 the proper result took place. So thank you. Yeah, I, I think I saw Leadership the Leadership of the commission. I, I mean, I, it's the, the county commission really deserves the credit for this. I, I believe I saw the press conference also where uh, someone took the credit that they yeah. got it done and they did it. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you missed it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, Commissioner Ryan. I'm going to probably um, butcher this expression, but I know some writer once said that uh, success has many friends and failure is an orphan, something to that effect. And uh, when you, as many fathers, uh, but what we um, what we did over there, which was was well brought out by Commissioner Udine, is uh, Broward County, and then separately Port Everglades, and of course the other groups in the Unified Command. So we got to give some credit to the Coast Guard and to uh, CDC. So there were federal partners, and we had the State Department of Health. So we were all working together on it. And but what I saw what happened over in Miami-Dade County with uh, the Coral Princess. It was almost as if that in Broward County, we had created the template of what was best practices with a boat that had, you know, a, a thousand or more passengers or two boats, two ships with more than a thousand passengers. And then, of course, about a thousand crew. And uh, how would you segregate them based upon their health status and, and deal with them to ensure uh, the safety of our community and, and for those on board as best as possible? So uh, very well done. And uh, I know that, uh, County Administrator, you haven't been getting a lot of sleep in the last few weeks, so um, I guess we'll, um, we'll just add that to your overtime. <laughs> uh, uh, but I did have a question with regard to um, the unemployment compensation claims. For the last couple of meetings, I have brought this up in, in some degree. And um, working as the County Commission uh, appointee to Career Source, which is the Broward Workforce Development Board, uh, I've been in contact with Mason Jackson on this. Uh, we have an unemployment compensation um, uh, process that regrettably in, in, in years past was kind of set up so that it would handle as few claims as possible. Notorious in that, um, you know, the amount that you could get per week was one of the lowest in the nation and the time frame that you could receive the benefits, again, one of the shortest in the nation. Uh, with the federal stimulus package, we now have um, a federal supplement of up to $600 per week for employees and extension of an additional 13 weeks on those unemployment compensation claims. You don't have to show evidence that you're looking for work because there's no work out there uh, at this time. But uh, we know that the, the, the state has had an incredible increase in the number of claims that need to be processed, the number of applications. And I know the state is doing as best they can you know, in, in the short term. And I, I want to give credit to Governor DeSantis on that. Uh, but we're, we're looking at uh, trying to, uh, from the state's perspective, to gather um, state employees from different divisions and departments to participate with the um, uh, Department of Economic Opportunity, which handles these unemployment compensation claims. And um, uh, I know that the state has been asking the various uh, career source centers around the state to also assist, and of course we have one uh, in Broward County. Uh, what can we do in, in Broward County to assist, um, you know, the many, many thousands of persons who, who need to get these unemployment compensation benefits now? I mean, to put food on the table, we can't over, over stress, over tax our um, um, health and human services division. So we've got to try to get this 
this funding uh, as quickly as possible. And I know there is a delay uh, there now. The, the state is now accepting paper applications. Uh, is there something that, that Broward County can do to coordinate with CareerSource where I know the CareerSource is going to have some employees that are going to be working with the state on this. Um, can we use perhaps our library system or, you know, some open areas in the parks or something where, where people can come, fill out these paper applications, and we can, you know, assist in getting them to the state as quickly as possible? So we have been reaching out um, from the day they announced that the money is available because we wanted to be in, in front of the line, if you will. What can we do? Um, you know, we have, um, we have employees that we could bring to bear to help with that. And um, at this point, um, we haven't been really given a mission, so to speak. So the extent to which they need to help with their staff, um, they should let us know because um, as you know, Mr. McDonald is, um, we're doing, we're working with um, the small businesses to do webinars, just anything that we could do to, to give them that lift and that edge. And we'll do the same thing with um, Career Source. Um, just let us know what, what we can do to help with that. But, but, but I think they're still working with some of the infrastructure issues that they have, and maybe the dam will break loose. And, and um, you know, our team is ready to, to jump on it when they are. I've had a brief discussion with Sandy McDonald on this, and um, I do think this is the right, you know, entry point to work with with our departments and staff on this. So uh, we'll see if we can put together um, the Broward Workforce Development uh, apparatus with the county to um, to process these. Because what we're doing is not only we're helping Broward County residents, but we're also bringing money into the economy. And I mean, with tourism, you know. In the dump right now for at least what a couple of months. Uh, we need we need something for thousands and thousands of people. So I appreciate that. Secondly, and on kind of a uh, uh, unrelated item, but uh, I know I had you know read that story with regard to uh, uh, some concerns that were expressed by uh, one of the uh, union representatives for transit, and um, one of the items that was mentioned is that. Um, the buses are at capacity, and of course we have people spread out, so there's, there's less passengers that are uh, permitted on each bus. Uh, but it was mentioned that there's, I guess, uh, a significant um, component of the homeless population that's just riding the bus. I don't know if that's true, but I would think that if, in fact, that is occurring, I mean, you know, we, we have um, free bus fare. But I mean, somebody should be able to ride the bus line from you know one point beginning to end. But you can't just ride on the bus all day. So I mean, isn't there some way that if if that's happening, and even if it is just on a very uh, uh, sporadic occasion, but uh, a person should be able to, to ride the entire route of the bus. But if, as it goes back and forth, they can't just stay on the bus all day. I can't. I can't answer that. I'm going to have to um, get with uh, with staff to to find out how that would occur, um, why they would just want to ride back and forth, up and down, I don't know. Um, but um, I had not heard that that was a big issue. I know that that um, we assume that you would have um, some now individuals that are homeless that would ride the bus. But just to ride it all day, I, 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 can't, I can't speak to that, but I'll, I'll find out what if that's true and and what can be done, if anything can be done about that. Thank you. 
Commissioner Farr, I, I, I didn't skip you. I oh, okay. kind of okay. changed after go, uh, we came to the dais. To, okay. to we we saved the best for last. Yes. Yes. Um, let me just join in the chorus of thanks for what you did yeah. with, uh, with the county administrator, what the county attorney did, unified command, everybody with regard to the Zandam and Rotterdam. There was, a, there was on this commission a, a broad spectrum of, of ways to deal with this. But by the end of it, there was a convergence and a consensus. And I think it took all those different opinions, all those different ways of looking at it to make sure that everybody was made safe. And I, and I think it, it spoke to the, um, the structure here of how good a structure it is, of that it allowed for the, all those differences of opinion to be heard, to be dealt with. And I think you heard those really well. And we're able to kind of pull them all together. So, and, and it's something I think we could all be proud of. So thank you for that. Um, most, of my, most of my concerns have been, have been dealt with. Um, over this time though, I, I did see, and I, and I want us to be thinking of this on the, in the future. I know you're kind of looking at the surge right now. But I did see what Miami-Dade was doing in accordance with the University of Miami Medical um, uh, School. And, I, and look at doing more random testing and looking and doing a, a larger um, field to see you know, where pockets of uh, COVID might be, um, what, you know, where it might be rearing its head. And I wonder if it's something that we may want to look at one of our universities. To do, a, to, to do something similar here. COVID's gonna be with us for a while. You know, it's, it's not going, it, it is not a, you know, in May and it's over. And we need to be looking at post-surge, post, you know, apex, and looking at how we're dealing with this for a year or so. Uh, that vaccine's not gonna be here anytime soon. We, we might have a leveling off, but we're, we have to deal with this, and we're gonna have to figure out how we're gonna continue to do with remote work, all kind of things. And um, to that extent, I know you're looking at that a little bit, mm -hmm. but I do think that that would be an element that would be uh, worth looking at and worth exploring and work, worth getting a partnership. So the, the real issue is just the, the ability to get the test right. um, kits that you need and even with some of the rapid, um, somebody has to analyze and yeah. say what it means. And, and I so, don't know how they were able to get, to, they, because they had the partnership, they were able to get 20,000 test kits. And we'll be able to take advantage of the results of that study. We'll be able to right. help translate that to similarly situated um, um, environments. We, we can track pretty much where our hot spots are. Okay. Um, and um, we'll continue to figure out how to, you know, zone zero in um, um, on that. But again, if you've been, the, the national media has really been reporting on if you, if, you know, if you're compromised um, in any way, meaning you've, you know, you've had, you know, we have pockets in our community that um, on the lowest socioeconomic end of it. And so they are struggling in many ways with health issues, food issues, you name it. They're just going to be, you know, sort of the ground zero for, right. you know, not having good outcomes. Yeah. For that. Uh, but, it's, but if we can find those partnerships. I, absolutely. It's worth, I mean, we have some pretty good partnerships with NOVA and some others, their school of medicine. 
Might be a time to okay. see if see if it's worth it. I also also, I know that there are there's going to be a, a large demand on first responders, health doctors coming up, and I did want to just let everybody let them know if you can help me let them know that the early early learning coalition is is now stating and I think it's gone through the Florida's Office of Early Learning that they are now stating they will reimburse childcare oh. for all all first responder providers. Um, That's a big help. It's a big it's a big one. Um, and they uh, they've been doing they they've said they'd be doing it for a week or so but the word's not getting out. So to the extent that we can get the word out, it's for all first responders and all medical personnel uh, for children up to age 12 and they will reimburse all child care providers. Even though right now, 60% of the child care centers are closed, but there are some that are being dedicated to to the first response. So, to the extent that we can get that out, I think it'd be worthwhile. Okay. That's all. Mayor, um, I I wanted to try to move that this discussion along because I know we always spend an hour before the meeting on this, but um, there are some uh, parts of the care package that are out that payment um, protection program, paycheck protection program, and um, it's processing right now. And there's a lot of businesses that have been contacting us regarding that. And I don't think people truly understand that program. And so I was going to ask Ms. Henry if our Office of Economic and Small Business Development could put something out to explain that program. It's probably the best part of the program that's out there for um, if you have you know, eight weeks, and in eight weeks, you know, you, you have a million dollars worth of payroll. They can um, give you a loan for a million dollars worth of your payroll. And then at the end of the eight weeks, it's forgivable if you used it for p paying people. And so that has been really the issue that we've been getting a lot of people saying, I, I live paycheck to paycheck, I can't afford to pay my bills. Well, the companies can apply and get money to pay their workers during this crisis. And so it's just another way to supplement our unemployment system, which I know is backed up right now. So I was thinking that maybe that would be a good idea to uh, mention that. And then the other thing was the SBA. You can apply to the SBA for the disaster assistance, get a $10,000 grant to wait to get you through the, the application process, and that's instant. And um, then after you're application is assigned to a lender, you'll go through the process and you can get SBA funding that way. I just, I, I've been putting it on my page and based on the, the volume of emails we keep getting, it is like uh, probably two people like it and I'm thinking you should be loving this now. So I, I don't know if we're getting the word out or if people just don't understand. I think they're, they're frustrated because those that are trying to can't get through. And so I know that's something that they're working on trying to, you know, get that to a point where people. So for the SBA, if you're having trouble getting through, it's advised to go on from 7, 7 p.m. to or 7 a.m. Okay. Those are the times that no one really is on that system. For the DEO, it's the same thing. Go on at night. And then the, for the um, Paycheck Protection Program, you would go to your banking institution and you would um, fill out your PPP application there. And all you need for that application is your 941 
um, and your 940 from 2019, your identification, and um, whatever other small um, forms that they require that your bank fill out. But other than that, I think that people need to take advantage of those programs. Um, we know that Bank of America, Chase, and some of the smaller credit unions have already issued loans. And um, that's, um, there's 350, um, it's $350 billion out there for these programs. So um, I just think that maybe besides our public service announcement being for the focus of stopping the spread of COVID-19, mm -hmm. maybe we need to talk about small businesses a little bit. Yeah, we'll do that. Uh, just and I, I didn't mention it, but there's an item on this agenda that um, you know many of the the um, businesses, um, at, whether it's the airport or the seaport, um, they have asked us to consider deferring some of their their payments, which um, I'm certainly recommending that we do. Uh, many of these are our partners, to no fault of their own. Um, they are experiencing this, and so we are. You know, we want to help where 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 we can, and um, as you well know, we are um, we're closely monitoring all of our funds. Um, fortunately, we have um, all of our funds were healthy coming into this, so we have some ability to to help with some of what's happening here, and and we certainly want to do that. Um, uh, again. Um, I will look at putting yeah. some information out to and help that, with that too. And I, I didn't mean to be so short about that's it, but okay. you know, um, I, 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 I took a beating for the Rotterdam and the Zandam. <laughs> when we first started, I have taken a beating as a nurse practitioner. But um, I wanted to say that, you know, we, we set a standard, uh, Bertha, and um, believe me, when I got all those calls, the same ones that Commissioner Udine was getting, I kept thinking, well, Broward has to lead in this situation and we have to show people humanity, but also to show them that we're gonna protect our yeah. residents yeah. and our yeah. citizens as best we can and um, through this. And so I'm very proud of that, um, that that went through. So thank you very much again you. to your staff. Let me add, my gratitude to you, uh, County Administrator Henry. I know that except for this Sunday, you were here physically every single day for the last month. Uh, you ought to be commended for the dedication that you've shown to the people of Broward County. And I know sometimes uh, we get antsy and people say stuff not knowing what work is being done. Your staff and you have done a tremendous job in ensuring that we're doing what we need to do to protect the people of Broward County. The county attorney's office has been open and active as well as your office because many of the agreements, including the one dealing with the Zamdam and the Rotterdam, uh, had to be worked through between both of you uh, let me add thank you to the Unified Command at Port Everglades, uh, the Coast Guard, the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, the Sheriff's Office, Law Enforcement and Fire Rescue, uh, the, or staff at the, at the uh, port, and the pilots, and, and everyone who played a role 
in doing what we needed to do, there was actually an editorial uh, in, some, in Sunday's paper, I believe, by, from one of the uh, people that were on the ship from Canada. And, and I, I think folks who may have opposed this should read it uh, because it, it really tells the story of the need that existed for us to ensure that these people who were our guests on another day, we would have expected them to spend an extra two days and spend some money at our hotels, uh, at our shops, in our restaurants. And it did us good because hospitality is 20% of our workforce. 20% of the people in Broward County uh, earn a living from hospitality, fueled greatly by our tourists that comes to Broward County. And I believe that the world saw our hospitality. And I'm hoping that when this is over, we'll be able to welcome them back here again uh, over and over. The, the issue of helping our businesses here locally is, is critical. And uh, Commissioner Sharif, I, I was actually on the phone this morning with uh, Director Sandy Michael McDonald. And he's compiling a list of the lenders because not only are the traditional lenders who did SBA can now uh, participate in this program, others can and that will be posted on the website at brow.org for the public slash econ dev, E-C-O-N-D-E-V, brow.org slash econ dev. So, so that is being worked on. And also on Thursday, uh, there's a forum being hosted with Ms. Althea Harris from the Small Business Administration along with Ms. Narim from the Small Business Development Center, who's handling uh, many of the state uh, loan program. And that will be live on Facebook. Uh, and that's facebook.com slash broad OASBD. And it will also be on Vimeo. Uh, Congressman Hastings will join in also to talk a little bit about the CARES program that has been passed for us to be able to help our people here locally. And again, let me just say thank you to all the Brown County staff, all of you who are out there working. Uh, this is certainly a community effort to beat this pandemic, and we will beat it and get to the other side where we can continue to work towards prosperity for all our people. Now. Mr. Mayor. <laughs> yes. Mr. Mayor. Yes, uh, Hello. Commissioner. Come on, Mayor. We get Commissioner this. Rich, I'm, I was, I'm headed there. Commissioner Rich. Commissioner Thank you. Rich. I, yes. I had one thing I wanted to add. We've talked a lot about Small Business Administration, and rightfully so. I do want to also remind us, and maybe uh, Ms. Henry, we can send this out as well. There has been uh, uh, some good news in terms of some of the services for some of the most vulnerable families. Uh, with regard to recertification extension, there's been a, a, a federal waiver to temporarily increase all the 
uh, supplemental nutritional assistance program, the SNAP uh, program, uh, to recipients so that they would get the maximum monthly allotment allowable. Um, also, uh, this recertification would ensure Floridians can safely access uh, SNAP and TANF, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, and Medicaid ben benefits. And I bring this up because a lot of these people are the very people who are jobless now, who worked in our hospitality and service sector uh, employment. And so this will be um, a benefit uh, for them. So I just want to make sure that we get it out as part of you know, what we're letting everybody know. Um, I mean, I'm sure all of us are putting it out, but uh, for the county to also uh, put it out on its website would be really helpful. And lastly, I just wanted to say there's been a lot of discussion about the Zandam and the Rotterdam. I just want to say that Broward County has built a reputation as a welcoming, compassionate community, uh, caring community. And this week, this last week, I believe we really lived up to our values, and I'm very proud uh, to be a part of the commission and the, and the work that did on uh, making sure these people could get home safely. Thank you. Yeah, and, and thank you for that. And, and let me also, just one final thought here. It's been widely reported that we refuse to accept the Coral Princess. Uh, that is not the truth. The truth is we ask that they submit a plan, just as we did for the Rotterdam and the Zamdam. They choose to submit a plan to Miami-Dade County, and Miami-Dade County accepted it. And as you said, we probably wrote the template that was utilized for that. So. Uh, let me make sure that people out there are clear on that issue. Uh, we now will go to uh, the Tuesday morning memo. Uh, consent items are 1 through 18. Public hearing items 19 through 26. Regular items 27 to 35. I request the following withdrawal, withdrawals in Scrivener's Arrow, correction and inclusions of additional material uh, on withdrawals and deferral substitution. Item 9, withdrawn for further staff review. Item 32, the Office of the County Attorney requests that this, uh, this item be deferred to April 21, 2020. Scrivener's Arrows. Item number 11. In the motion statement, delete reference to section 197.5A2 and delete reference to authorize the real property director to execute and process normal and customary doc closing documents. Without objection, I request that items 28, 29, 33, and 34 be moved to consent. Additional information, item 10, I'm sorry, item 12. Ex execution of the Second Amendment will be subject to the Office of the County Attorney approval uh, as to legal sufficiency. Item 27 should be under the County Commission heading instead of request to set public hearing. Additional material, regular meeting, item 27, updated language submitted by Commissioner Tim Ryan. We have one pull from the public, item number 13. Uh, let me start here on the desk. Uh, uh, Commissioner Sharif? No polls, Mayor. Uh, Commissioner Udine? 
Commissioner Ryan? No pulls. Commissioner Furr? And to our, uh, our commission online, Commissioner F Fisher? No polls, Mayor. Com Vice Mayor Gala? No polls, sir. Commissioner Bogan? No polls. Commissioner Rich? No polls. Okay. Oh. Okay. That'll be a record. <laughs> All right, so it's a short agenda. <laughs> it is. That generally means more polls. Left the poll. So, so our consent items are now one through eighteen, with the exception of thirteen. Uh, uh, would you please make a motion to that we, Mayor, for the consent? Yes. Uh, so. Yeah, so nine is also out, and then just, you know, please remember to add in 28, 29, 33, and 34. Transfer to consent. Mayor, yes. Yeah, approval of the consent agenda as described by the county attorney. All right, so we have a motion. Do we have a second? Second. Okay. Now, uh, since we, we're not sure who's on, online uh, constantly, I got to go up for that. Commissioner Fisher? Yes? All in favor, I'm sorry, all in favor by saying aye. But I have to poll because. Uh, it's, for, for this, it's okay. If anyone okay. can just speak in objection, okay. I think we're, we're all fine. Right. Yes. All those in favor, vote by saying aye. 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 Those aye. opposed, no? Okay, it passes unanimously. All right, now we go on to our agenda here. And the first one is item 13. We have a speaker, Mr. Ricky Ibarra. Can, uh, yeah, they're going to bring him on just a second. He's just yes. bringing him on. Mr. Barra, are you on? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, yes please, please go ahead, sir. You have uh, three minutes. Okay. Dear Broward County Procurement Board, my name is Ricky Barra, and I'm a franchise owner of a local battery bus bulb. I'm speaking to you today in reference to bid number TRN 2119667B1 titled Bus Batteries. I feel that it's imperative that I speak to you all today to reinforce that Batteries Plus Bulb is the most qualified and the most cost-efficient vendor for this bid. Currently, a different vendor is listed as the recommended vendor for this bid due to one missing document that failed to upload properly to the electronic bid system called BidSync. The document is FTA Exhibit 6. Since the closing date of this bid, I attempted to send a copy of this document to, our op to your office, but it was denied. Urban our organization does not quite understand how this form failed to properly upload to the electronic bid sync system, but we do take full responsibility. Today I speak to you with urgency in the hopes that you amend this recommendation and make the final decision to award this bid to Batteries Plus Bulbs. As previously mentioned, Batteries Plus Bulbs is the most cost-efficient 
vendor available when evaluated against the current recommended vendor original equipment company. Furthermore, awarding batteries plus bulbs just data would save the county and taxpayers approximately $8,500 per year, which is equivalent to over $25,000 during the three-year term of this bid. Over $25,000 would be considered a great amount of savings during a normal fiscal year and within a normal context. But now in the current state of our economy and in the context of a pandemic, this savings of over $25,000 would be considered a tremendous amount of savings to taxpayers in our community. I think we can agree on this fact. After participating in this call today, it is evident that these dollars could be put to great use in saving lives or for, more, more, or for much needed equipment procurement. I hope that after today, you'll also see Batteries Plus Bulbs as the best vendor for this solicitation, especially considering the potential cost savings of $25,000. If an amendment to this bid cannot be made during, this, during today's meeting, I strongly urge you to reopen this bid for consideration in which I can assure you that no paperwork will be missing on our end. Thank you very, very much for your time and attention today. My thoughts and prayers to everyone on this call, their families, and our entire community. Thank you again. Thank you very much, sir. County Administrator. So this was a, um, uh, uh, a bid, and um, because federal funds are being used, um, there is a Buy America requirement um, for this solicitation. I understand that Ms. Billingsley is on the line. Ms. Billingsley, are you on? Yes, I am. Okay. Brenda Billingsley. Go ahead, yes, Director Ms. Billingsley. Hendry indicated that this, this procurement is federally funded, and there were FTA requirements such as certain documents that should have been submitted with the bid, which is the Buy America, as Ms. Henry mentioned. The vendor did not include the Buy America requirements with the submittal of the bid, which is a FTA requirement. Therefore, they were determined to be non-responsive to the solicitation document. He is, in fact, correct regarding the dollar threshold, but um, any absent submitting these documents with the solicitation, we run the risk of losing any federal funds that will be used for this procurement. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, so what, what I, what, and Ms. Billingsley, if you can elaborate, what, what I heard was um, the, the system, once the, once the bid closes, it closes, and you can't upload any additional information after the, after the fact. So it's, um, and if I understood him correctly, that he tried to submit this, um, this, re this form, but he couldn't get in the system because the bid had closed it. Uh, do you have any additional information on that, please? The only thing that we have is that he tried to submit it through our office. There was no indication that he tried to go back into the system. But you are correct that once the bids close, you can't go back in and, and enter any documents into the system. He did appear, and we did speak with him to explain to him the requirements of the solicitation, which those re requirements were also included in the solicitation document that listed what must be submitted with the bid packet. He did show up at our office wanting to submit the documents, but we were not um, allowed to accept them because it, it is a matter of responsiveness. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Ryan, you want to say something? I'm not um, going to be voting against this item, but I want to just make a, a general statement you know, in, in listening to um, bid protests over the years, um, some of them are substantive 
others may appear to be just some type of um, technical or, or very minor deficiency in submitting an application. And to me, it, it sometimes appears that perhaps um, uh, it's a little too rigid, the process by which um, the determination of uh, responsibility and responsiveness is, is, is determined. And, and if county administrator, if you would, and working with our county attorney, take a look at perhaps um, how some other um, purchasing divisions of, of larger regional governments um, may address this issue where um, an, an applicant you know, says that I, I had a problem with the computer system or something like that. And, you know, Ms. Billingsley said, well, we didn't have any evidence that they tried to submit it after the fact electronically. But she also said that you can't submit it electronically after the fact. So you wouldn't have any evidence. And then, you know, it apparently appeared um, uh, without a long delay and tried to submit it in person. So, um, you know, it, it may have been that there was an error on his part. There could have been some other technical um, glitch in the system, and I don't know that there is, but I just feel that we ought to be able to, um, without compromising our process, uh, be able to preserve those uh, applicants that, that have perhaps the best bid. And sometimes it seems like, well, you know, we're actually not selecting the best bid because we're selecting the one that, you know, did everything correctly in its application process. So if, um, if you could have um, just some look at that about what other alternatives we might have in that. And Mr. Myers, would that be something that you'd be able to look at also? Yes, Commissioner. In fact, we are at the very tail end of a uh, pretty comprehensive rewrite of the procurement code. We were at the point where we were meeting with the county administrator and Ms. Billingsley and uh, then we got uh, sidetracked by the current crisis. That is something that is in there, but we will make sure that there is a full comparison of what other leading jurisdictions do uh, to make sure that we present options that are reasonable. All right. And then, uh, Commissioner Bogan, if I could find a space in the parking lot on that one. You got it. Okay. And no, see no further discussion. We, char we charge that space. Mayor. For yes, uh, Mayor. Yes, yes, sir. Uh, Vice Mayor Thank you, uh, uh, thank you Mr. Mayor. I just want to explain to the person that um, uh, that was speaking on this that in this particular case, our hands are tied because this is being funded by federal funds and based upon what Ms. Billingsley has said, for us to do anything here would, you know, risk losing our federal funds. So based on that, that's not anything that we can at this point in time do anything about. Um, also, and I'd ask the county attorney on this, there is a difference, as we all know, between a responsive and responsible bid. And it's my understanding that we can waive issues of responsibility, which means that you filed everything, but there's a question as to whether or not we think your answer is a good one, but we can't waive responsiveness, which is, did you fill out the form, fill out every blank and submit every document? And since this appears to be an issue of responsiveness, 
which we can't waive and because the federal funds are involved, I don't think we can do anything here. If I can ask the county attorney to comment on the difference between responsive and responsible. Yes, Senator Geller, you are correct. The board does have a final say in issues of responsibility, uh, but in terms of responsiveness, the final say is with the director of purchasing. You are correct. Thank you. I see no further discussion. Uh, can I have a motion to move this item? Second. Can we have a motion and a second? second? All those in favor vote by saying aye. 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 Those opposed? Okay. Uh, it's passed unanimously. We'll move on now to uh, our public hearing, item 19 through 26. Uh, our first item is 19. Item 19 is a motion to adopt supplemental budget resolution within the general fund in the amount of $36,821,120. Uh, we'll open this uh, public item, public hearing item, and I have no one signed up to speak on this from the public, so I'll come back to the dais. Uh, Commissioner I just wonder Fur. if we can take all the Is it possible to take all the supplemental budgets at once? You, you probably could because they all relate to budget, but I think that, uh, yes, the, the mayor would have to open them all at once and then take a single vote. I don't know if there are polls on any of them. There's none. The mayor. There's none. Yeah. Yep. I, I think that's fine. I think you can open them all at once okay. and then do it. All right. So we'll vote on this one, and then we'll go ahead and open the rest. Uh, so is there a motion to approve item 9? So approval. A second. Okay, all those in favor vote by saying aye. Aye. Those opposed? Aye. aye. Okay, it passes unanimously. So we're going to go ahead and open the rest of the items uh, together, and that's 20 through 25. 25. Item 20 is a three part item. Part A is a motion to adopt. Supplemental budget resolution within the special purpose funds, trust funds, and grant funds in the amount of $9,443,912. Part B is a motion to adopt supplemental budget resolution within the Valley Adjustment Board Fund in the amount of $129,260. Part C is a motion to adopt supplemental budget resolution within the Homeless Service Fund in the amount of $1,117,080. We'll consider all three parts of this item together along with the rest that I'm gonna read. Item 21 is a motion to adopt supplemental budget resolution within the special revenue funds in the amount of 257 million nine hundred sixty eight thousand five hundred and eight dollars item 22 is a motion to adopt supplemental budget resolution within the debt service fund in the amount of three hundred ten thousand four hundred dollars item 23 is a motion to adopt supplemental budget resolution within the capital funds in the amount of seventy two million nine hundred forty two thousand four hundred and ninety seven dollars 
Item 24 is a two-part motion. Part A is a motion to adopt supplemental budget resolution within the enterprise funds in the amount of $112 million, $112,608,138. Part B is a motion to adopt supplemental budget resolution within the disaster recovery, recovery for Port Everglades Fund in the amount of $893,724. Item 25 is a motion to adopt supplemental budget resolution within the internal service funds in the amount of $6,324,515. We have no members of the public wishing to speak on this item. None has signed up. Uh, we'll come back to the DS for a motion. Mayor, I make that motion Can and I? to approve all the items that you just mentioned. Second. We have a motion and a second. All those in favor, vote by saying aye. 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 Okay. Those opposed, no. Okay. It passes unanimously. So we have one additional public hearing item, which is item 26. <clears throat> which is a motion to adopt a resolution amending the Broward County Administrative Code to repeal and create a new section, 35.20, to update fees and charges for production of public records. Uh, we're open to the, po uh, to the uh, public, and I believe I have one speaker for that item. You do. Ms. Lipoff. Ms. Lipoff. Hello. Yeah, would you please open for Ms. Lipoff? Hi. Okay, go ahead, please. Hi. Um, yes, I would like to speak I'm sorry. against we'll this give you item. Three minutes, yes. I. Okay. Continue. Um, I would like to speak against. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, I'd like to speak against this item. I do not think it's appropriate. To make this kind of change at this time. Um, I have a lot of specific things I could share about it, um, why this is a terrible idea, but um, I don't feel it's appropriate. And if I don't feel it's appropriate to speak about it in a public meeting, you can just imagine what I have to say about this. I don't think this is an emergency change. And during this COVID-19 process, I, nobody's going to be paying attention to this. In terms of me personally, um, I think it's possible that I ask for the most public records out of uh, any private citizen. I don't know if that's true, but it's possibly true. And uh, this will affect me in a negative way because I use my own money. I spend hundreds of dollars on getting these records, and uh, in terms of setting the cost by the person who does the poll, um, then you can make it really high by making a high-level person handle the records, and if you're going to make any kind of changes, you should start looking at a central uh, office handling this. It would make it more cost-effective for the request. And the office should report to either the county attorney's office 
or the county commission to make sure that everything is being handled properly. I'm waiting long times for records very inappropriately. And when I speak to um, Ms. Stapleton at the uh, communications office, I'm told, well, I'm not in charge of it. I just keep track of it. Like, in terms of anything going on with delays or unexpected high costs, there's there's really no one independent, and this is just going to make it worse. And why do you need to do this now? Like, why don't you wait until you know, it's a more calm time. I am not doing records requests that I would like to do out of respect for the emergency nature of our government now, um, except for one that is about me getting in trouble again. But anyway, I just don't think it's appropriate to do this now, even if it is the right thing, because no one can pay attention to this. And I'm asking you to delay this and so we're past this crisis. Thank you, Ms. Lipoff. Uh, uh, county administrator, would you uh, inform and educate the public as to why we're doing this? So one of the, the points that Ms. Um, Lipoff made is a valid point. Um, we get these um, um, public records requests uh, from Wherever, so she's, um, you know, the general public, um, lawyers, the media. We we get them from a myriad of different places, and and what we found is that um, obviously we have not looked at our rates for public records since the 80s. So what we're looking to do here is to do pretty much what she recommended. Um, this would allow us to bring on a couple of employees whose sole job it is is to to go through and track down um, um, the the essence of these public records requests that we're getting so that they can be timely. Um, many what happens today is this this is somebody else's third or fourth job, and so sometimes they do get delayed, and we um, we know that that's, that's um, not the best way to handle this. So what we're looking to do is not to have, uh, I don't do public records requests, so there's not gonna be my hourly rate associated with any public records request, um, but what we would be doing is having um, bringing on two individuals that are at a level that would understand the law. They would need to understand what needs to be provided, what what should not or cannot be provided. As you know, a lot of uh, information that we have is HIPAA-related and other things. And so um, the goal here is to get this position so that we can respond very timely on um, these public records requests. And the cost that we're charging is associated with the cost for providing this information. So let's, so there, um, um, in, in most instances, um, if the public records request is small, you know, they're just looking for, they have a very specific document and we can get to it um, um, quickly. Um, it's like electronic, you don't have to go through and read a whole bunch of emails to make sure that you don't have something in that you're, that's um, uh, protected information. Um, there's no charge um, that um, the board has been and um, state statutes have really um, allowed for the public to get access to information. What happens is sometimes uh, and oftentimes they don't know exactly what they're looking for so they 
cast a wide net. And when you're doing that, then someone, uh, different individuals will have to go through that process because we're just as liable if we release information that's um, that should not be um, released. So our goal here is not to change the, you know, you need a document, not gonna charge you for a whole bunch of copies or anything like that. It's when this becomes a research project and we have to pull people off of the people's business to start doing this. And um, we think that um, having individuals at the appropriate level um, be reimbursed, um, which would create the funds so that we can keep this keep our public records requests um, filled for the public on a timely basis. Are there times when we get these requests and, and they're not, we're not compensated for them, even though they're broad? Um, well, yes, what, what we have um, oftentimes have found, um, someone will come in and they'll make a public records request and um, it turns out that, oh, I didn't realize that it would, you know, that it's gonna cost X, Y, Z. And these are at the very minimal rate. Um, and then we have spent all that time doing all the research and gathered all the information and then the person doesn't pick it up. So um, we do have um, that scenario, um, um, although that's becoming less and less of an issue because we're asked, we'll give them an estimate and, and ask that they pay a front so that we don't uh, necessarily have that situation, but it doesn't always work out that way. Uh, Commissioner Furr. Thank you. I, I, initially, I'd, I'd had some misgivings about this because I didn't want to, I, the public does have a right to know. They do have a right to, to get the documents at, at a, you know, in an easy fashion. I do want to ask though, when we do hire those people, that, we, that they be educated in ways of helping whoever's asking to help focus their search, help target it, how to use keyword terms, search terms, so that it isn't frivolous and it isn't burdensome to the government as well. We do want to make sure, like I said, people have the right to those documents, but how you search for them makes all the difference in the world. Um, there, there are some that where um, you, if we're relatively comfortable that you don't run the risk of, of um, uh, releasing information that, that's that's, that you, you, you can't or shouldn't. Um, we ask them to come in and we'll have a person sit with them and why don't you look and see what is it that you're looking for, kind of hone in on that and we'll make the copies and it, and, it, and, and um, you know, in the end, it doesn't really cost them much of anything. Right. Um, but it, it's, the, it's the more expansive and, the, and these usually come from attorneys any and all, and it just goes on. And, and so now you, you really are having a, a research project on your hand. Okay, uh, I see no other comment. Uh, we close to the public and uh, ask for a vote. We have a motion to approve. Do I have a second? Second. Okay, a motion and a second. Uh, those in favor, vote by saying aye. 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 Those opposed, no, it is unanimous. Okay, now we go to item number 27. Uh, your favorite item, Mayor. Commissioner Ryan, I think this is your item. All right, this is a motion to adopt a proposed amendment to the Broward County Charter 
in reference to um, placing a question on the ballot for the general election November 3, 2020. Uh, and it's an um, issue that's been around for more than a decade uh, here in Broward County. It's the question of whether there should be a countywide elected mayor. Uh, I'm going to just briefly introduce the item, and then I'm going to move to defer it. Um, this proposal would uh, add a position on the county commission of a mayor. It would end up being a tenth member of the county commission. Uh, the uh, elected position would be countywide uh, for a four-year term with uh, two terms allowed. That was uh, an amendment that I had proposed to the to the resolution and um, an annual salary of $220,000 adjusted CPI. Uh, that was also uh, moved downward a little bit from the original uh, proposed amendment and uh, there would be no outside employment permitted. Uh, I am mean, asked to, to defer it because uh, I think this is a issue of, of significant uh, importance for the county and for this county commission. Uh, we've got a lot of issues that we're dealing with right now with the coronavirus disease, and um, I think that it's appropriate that we uh, defer it. I'd like to see it deferred for uh, six weeks, and if we could place this item on the uh, May 19th regular commission meeting, and um, at that time, hopefully we'll have back live our full complement of commissioners and we can engage in a um, a reasoned discussion on whether or not the commission wishes to have this item placed on the 2020 ballot so that's my uh, request or motion it's to defer the item second. okay second so we have a motion and a second to defer this item uh all those in favor vote by saying aye aye those opposed aye. no okay it passes unanimously. As a deferral. As a, to be deferred uh, to May 19th. May 19th. Okay. Our next item is item 35. 32. 32? Uh, 35, Mayor. 32 was uh, deferred. withdrawn. Withdrawn. 32 was deferred. Okay. Uh, Item 35 uh, is uh, Commissioner Bogan's item, and we'll go ahead and have you open your item, uh, Commissioner Bogan. And that Thank is a resolution um, of the Board of County Commissioners of Broad County, Florida, encouraging Broad County Airline Partners to suspend direct commercial passenger flights between Fuller Hollywood International Airports and areas with substantial community spread of COVID-19. Go ahead, sir. Thank you, Mayor. Um, as, as everyone has heard, uh, you know, we, we were really upset about people who were potentially sick coming off the cruise line infecting broad residents. But we're learning more and more from data that the spread really is not coming from people who are sick, but people who are asymptomatic, who feel fine and have the virus. And all I'm trying to do here, I'm not talking about cargo, I'm not talking about mail. I'm not talking about um, private. I'm not talking about charter. I'm talking about four or five airlines to hotspots. For example, New Orleans, New York. I'm, and I'm only talking about nonstop 
uh, service. So what I'm asking is that we're urging. I'm not asking we're directing. I'm not ordering anything. I had a conversation with the CEO of Spirit Airlines two and a half weeks ago and said, you know, it really concerns me that you guys are flying to New York uh, nonstop, potentially bringing people who are asymptomatic. And um, a week and a half later, on t- last Tuesday at our meeting, Spirit announced that they're no longer going to be flying nonstop between um, Fort Lauderdale and, uh, and, and New York. So I'm not talking about uh, stopping all service. I'm not talking about closing the airport. I'm, all I'm talking about are flights that are nonstop to hotspots, very, you know, very selected hotspots that we encourage uh, and follow Spirit's lead, actually, and, um, and encourage these airlines to uh, uh, cease any, non, any, any nonstop service uh, just as, uh, to, to, you know, for any more protection that we can of our residents. Okay, thank you. Uh, so I'll go ahead and open. I usually wait till the end. Uh, but I had a conversation with the CEO of our airport, Mr. Mark Gale. And here's my concern. My concern is that this item referred to our partners, airline partners. And I believe that when you're in a partnership or you're working with partners, as these airlines are at the airport, uh, there are signatory airlines, many of them, that basically sign to backstop the loans, the bonds that we take to expand and grow and maintain the airport. Uh, that we probably, I believe that we probably ought to use some tact and, some, and be strategic. And I would have had a conversation with them first before I put this out in the public. Uh, because if they're partners, we don't want to necessarily try to embarrass them into doing something that might be detrimental to them surviving this pandemic. And I say that because in my conversation with our CEO, uh, the CARES Act that has been passed that offers relief to the airport and to our airline partners requires that they maintain a certain level of operations to the various cities that they fly to. And if they don't do so, they may not receive any of the funding that is in this CARES program and in, 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 uh, as such could put them out of business. And we won't have them to continue the commerce that we've uh, had over the years. We were the fastest growing large size airport uh, with 36.8 million passengers uh, in the past year. Uh, and, and it means a lot to us in terms of the commerce that's happened. Another part of my concern is this, that we still have medical personnel that needs to be moved about. Uh, we have first responders that may need to move about. Our military personnel use our commercial aircrafts to rotate in and out of service around this country and around this world. Uh, and there are essential workers also that may need uh, to travel on these uh, commercial flights uh, in order to help us through this fight. So th- those are concerns that I have uh, that, that, that give me a lot of pause uh, to support this item uh, as, as it is uh, without basically having a- any further discussion. And I, and I believe that uh, our CEO Gail is on the line. CEO Gail, would you 
uh, respond to this, please? Airport CEO, Ms. Henry. Mr. Gale. Mr. Pair, if you can, can help you hear me. Can you hear me now, Mayor? We can yes, hear yes, we, we can at this time. Please go ahead, sir. Well, good morning. Pardon the uh, temporary pause and getting unmuted. Um, so for the, for the uh, edification for the board members, uh, I think it, it's worth stating that um, flights that are currently coming in from, quote, hotspots uh, uh, that have been identified in the governor's executive order, which includes the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut areas, as well as New Orleans, um, are currently being met by Florida Department of Health and Florida National Guard personnel. Um, prior to the onset of COVID-19, the numbers of those flights probably would have ranged uh, above 60. Uh, today, we have a total of 12 flights that are coming in from those hotspots, uh, and the number of individuals that are on those airplanes probably range in the single digits, maybe you know 15 or 20, the load factors are extremely low. Uh, some airlines are using those flights to transport medical personnel as well as medical supplies. I had a conversation with one airline this morning that is doing uh, just that uh, such thing. Um, uh, additionally, the reference to the CARES Act program, the latest guidance that I had seen, and while it may change, that as airlines apply for these grants uh, in order to uh, help themselves out financially in the future, keep folks employed, uh, there is a requirement that they maintain a certain level of flight activity for cities that they had serviced previously uh, at specified frequencies. Um, that guidance still exists to the best of my knowledge. It may change, and I think there's a deadline coming up this week uh, for the airlines to apply for those grants, and we'll have to see where the airlines go from, from there. Uh, and then lastly, um, in the news, uh, you can see that airline after airline uh, whether it be Spirit, which was a, a complete suspension, uh, but American Airlines, JetBlue, United, and others um, are or have uh, significantly reduced their flight activity in and out of the New York area airports, some as much by 80%, um, which, has, which has cut down on, on the amount of traffic uh, that is not only coming into Fort Lauderdale, but into Miami, into Palm Beach, and other places in Florida and, and around the country. Um, so I'm happy to answer any additional questions that you may have regarding uh, the flight activity uh, and this particular issue. Uh, Commissioner Sharif. Mayor, may I uh, Okay. Uh, Commi Commissioner Sharif, and then we'll go to you, uh, Mayor Bogan. Uh, Commissioner Bogan. I just wanted to add that, you know, we have, if all the airlines were to suspend um, flights for commercial passengers, we do have cruise ships still out there that are still trying to get to other ports. And so, and some get of those people, people live here. And so we have got to be able to uh, arrange flights for them to come home. And so they may not all live in Florida, but there are, um, I think last time we checked, there was about 30 more cruise ships out there that were not coming here for, to Broward County per se, but had passengers that have been trying to get home since um, March the 5th. And so they've been 
dropping, you know, going to ports, getting rid of passengers to get back to where they need to go, and they're unloading their passengers. And I just would hate to see us make this decision and then deny somebody the ability to get home. This is part of the reason why um, some of the passengers that were on the Zandam and the Rotterdam had to wait so long because there was a, a flight shutdown for some of those international flights. So um, I think that while we're going through this process, I know it's unprecedented. I know that we've, we've, we're dealing with a lot here, but we've got to remember that we've got to keep people going home logistically. And so we do this, we're a hub. We're a major hub for transportation for the tourism industry, as you mentioned before, um, Mayor Holness. And so we've got to continue to do that. Uh, Commissioner Bogan. Yeah, I, I don't know if the uh, I don't know if the supplemental item that is that you're reading from is the one that I submitted because Mayor and Commissioner Shreve, you're talking as though I'm trying to close the airport to all commercial flights. I'm talking about three cities. I'm not talking all commercial flights. Uh, and, and if you want to get to any city, you can get to it through connecting flights. But all I'm talking about is you know Spirit obviously thought it was a good enough idea to move forward. I could certainly call the airlines myself. I, can, I did that with Spirit. I don't have to go to the county commission. I could urge them myself. But I wanted to bring this in respect to everybody. If you don't like the idea, that's fine. I just, I, all I know is that the data shows that more and more spread is through asymptomatic people. You know, with all due respect, I have the highest regard for our, our airport director, Mr. Gale, but people coming off those airplanes are not being tested. You know, the most they could do is, you know, it's not if they have a fever or something. But, you know, all, all I, I'm just talking about are places that are in, in really, you know, hotspots. The governor's stopping cars coming in from New York on the on the uh, I-95, and, and and they're taking information. That's how serious this is. So, so I'm talking three cities right now. I'm not talking the whole country. I'm not talking all the flights. It's not going to jeopardize their money. It's not going to jeopardize their federal grants. You know, spirits getting their money. They're just diverting to different cities. But it's just three cities right now are considered the hotspots. And that's all I'm urging. I'm not directing. I'm not trying to have us order anybody to do anything. It's just uh, that's, that's all I'm doing. I, I, that's my close. So, um, Commissioner Bogan, I, I understand that you're talking about three cities, but um, realistically, um, the way that we move around in America and the way that people um, have second homes and things like that, this is this um, closing down borders is not necessarily working because people in New York have homes here, people in Canada have second homes here, people all over the world has have homes here in Florida, um, but. As far as urging the airlines to stop um, commercial travel to these three places, I would just like to say that I'm, you know, I'm completely against that, and I know that there's lots of uh, decisions that I'm against that get a majority vote here. And as the county commission and as this body is a one, we have to all speak as one after that vote is passed. And so. Um, I would just say that if you were going to make those direct calls that you please clarify that that is not a um, something that the county commission has agreed upon because I'm I'm not in agreement with that. Thank you. Mr. Mayor. 
go ahead, uh, Commissioner Rich, Senator Rich. Yeah, um, I just would want to weigh in also because I would not want, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I personally am opposed to this, and I would not want anyone to think that I would be supporting this. Um, we are a country of 50 states, and uh, we are the United States of America, and uh, we have we have certain hotspots right now. Tomorrow there'll be different hotspots. We may be one of them. We may not. There are cities all over this country and areas all over this country where it's coming to them. We have truck drivers driving in here every day. We have people walking the streets in Broward County. Many of them don't know whether or not they have uh, COVID-19 or would test positive. Um, I just think that this is not something that we should be doing. I just said before what we did with the Zand Dam and the Rotterdam shows the, uh, the uh, compassion uh, of our community. And I just think that this would send the wrong message to, uh, to uh, close down uh, people being able to come in and out of here to certain cities in the United States. So I am opposed to this. Anyone else wishing to comment on this? No? Okay, with that then we are open for a motion. Can I have a motion? Can I have a motion? Yes, sir. You're moving the item, uh, Commissioner Bogan? Yes, I am I'm moving my item. I believe strongly in it. Okay. Do we have a second? Motion, motion fails for a lack of a second. Thank you. We'll move on. To uh, public comments from commissioners. That was our last item. <laughs> uh, I have one. Uh, if uh, so, so if I may, please, I'm going to go ahead and, and run through the list. Uh, uh, we'll okay. start uh, with you, Commissioner Rich. Senator Rich, go ahead, please. Okay. Um, thank you. Um, I just wanted to uh, uh, thank everybody uh, for the effort that uh, uh, many of you put out uh, to get information out on Census Day through your website. Uh, through your uh, social media. Uh, we had a really banner day. Uh, even Brian Williams on MSNBC at that night, his closing remarks were about make sure you fill out your census form. So it kind of went all over the country, um, and um, hopefully it will continue since we cannot meet in person or have big groups uh, to, uh, in order to, to uh, get people to fill out their census. I do want to um, urge you all to go on to the website has a, uh, a response rate by municipality. Um, the last one was the, on, the, on the 5th of April. And it lists the percentage of response rate of each city. Um, you could check your cities. Um, and uh, those that are not doing as well as others, we have kind of three categories. Uh, uh, of response rate, and um, particularly those lower cities, we need to help move them up because many of them are 
cities that um, uh, actually have a lot of vulnerable people, and it would be terrible if we didn't have an, an accurate and complete count. So I'd urge you to, to take a look at that. It's 2020census.org slash response dash rates. That's 2020census.gov slash response dash rates. Um, also want to mention there was a, the uh, last week there was a discussion that um, uh, Commissioner Sharif had brought up about the um, addresses on the census forms did not in some cases reflect uh, the, uh, the correct city. And I just want you to know that the, the address on the census form, it may not list the city name or zip code uh, that you identify with or that you're used to seeing on your email. But for the public, we need to let them know, and we'll be putting this out also on the website, the census website, that this is a result of it's a cost-saving measure that streamlines how the forms are sorted and delivered to you by the U.S. Postal Service. So it's not something that we've done or any other city. Um, it will not affect which city, town, or block uh, a person's household responses will be assigned to when they tabulate the census results. But it's important to let people know because people are concerned if they have the wrong city uh, on, their, on their form. The other thing is that, you know, people have been throwing them away, some of them, some people, and we're going to try to work on that as well because it's not sent to an individual in a home. It's sent to the household, and some people are thinking that it's maybe junk mail or something. Uh, the reason it's the household is because the household, that's how it's to be responded, that everyone in the household has to be a part of that census form. So those are just a couple of things that I wanted to uh, bring to your attention. Um, otherwise, we're currently, as of April 5th, uh, we're Broward County is at an overall response rate of 42%, which is not high enough. We go from 58% uh, um, down to 23% in our city, so you can see the large variance there. So I just want to ask you to please make sure you contact your cities and uh, after you look at the response rate and see which ones are on the list of, of being lower uh, and uh, see if you can um, uh, help boost that rate uh, for us. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Commissioner Bogan. Um, I am. Commissioner Udine. I just, um, you know, w with what Commissioner Bogan said about the airport stuff, I just want to mention in a way, just in my closing comments, I think the point that he's making is people need to stay home and people should not be traveling if they can avoid it. I think that um, what we're going to see in South Florida is probably the New Yorkers and the Northeasterners that made a mass exodus three, four weeks ago when they could get out, they came out. I think you're going to see the results of that in the future. Um, but I, the point made is if you, if you, if people, really take to heart what we're doing right now, I think it's going to help a lot. I think we're seeing that nationally. I think we're starting to see a little bit of the light at the end of the tunnel, and it's got to be because we're doing this social distancing, um, and, and it's got to be because we're being careful. So I understand the mo the, what, what, what uh, Commissioner Bogman was putting forward, and the premise of what he's putting forward I 100% agree with. I just am... I, I, I just didn't believe we could do it the way that it was being put forward. But his premise, I think, 
is right on the money. I got a call yesterday from uh, one of the rabbi's sons out in Northwest Broward that, and, and I, I didn't even know the, I mean, I had to refer it over to our legislative people. His, his father, one of the elder rabbis, is dying in Canada. And he didn't know if he could go there, how he could go there, should he go there, is he risking being quarantined when he comes back. These are, these are life and death um, decisions being made by people. And, and I just think it's, it just it emphasizes what we're all going through and the type of things that we're trying to do. I mean, what I'm trying to tell people in my district and students that I see in my district and the young people, we're stuck here. We're stuck doing this. We can make the best out of it, or we can sit home and crawl on our beds and, and, and just get into a cocoon. And I'm choosing to make the best out of this. So I hope that our students that are out there are doing the online classes, people that can work remotely. Let's keep working. If you can pay your bills, let's pay them, because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to need our help. And, and like Commissioner Sharif had mentioned, these PPP loans, there's a lot of good information out there on that. Um, I'm, I'm glad I was going to mention in my closing comments to have somebody do something. But there's, if you're in the unbanked community or if you don't have a bank that you're working with, there's a lot of hurdles that I think are going to be need to explain um, to people. And uh, I'm glad that we're going to do that through our small business uh, offices. Just to close out, I mean, it's holiday week this week. Uh, and I just wish everybody a, if there's ever a time that we needed to uh, take a step back and realize how good we have it, um, because we're all sitting here and we have it better than a lot of other people do. And in this holy week, I encourage everyone to, uh, even though we're spending a lot of time with our family, I mean, really spend time with your family. <laughs> even though, I mean, we're spending a lot of time with our family. So thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Fisher. Thank you, Mayor. And I, too, want to echo, I think Commissioner Bogan's heart was in the right place with this item, um, you know, what he wanted to accomplish, and I think it was, uh, it was well meant. So I just want to thank him for that. The uh, only other item, Mayor, I want to go back to, again, is that Pompano Beach testing site where you had mentioned about it would be for first responders. Uh, is there any way we can get that at least for the 65-year and older folks showing symptoms? I think C.B. Smith Park has that opportunity. So I didn't know if you could speak to the would plug that in there, that 65-year or older showing symptoms could be tested as well. I, I will definitely have a conversation about that with uh, our Broad Health CEO, uh, Gina Santorio. Thank you, man. That's all I have. All right, uh, thank you. Uh, Vice Mayor Geller. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, first, I was also going to comment on the census, but just to brag, uh, County Commission District 5 has the highest overall census return rate in the county, and every one of the seven cities in District 5 is in the top half of the county response. So just had to brag on behalf of my district. Um, number two, um, and uh, it may be getting a little repetitive to say this uh, to Commissioner Bogan, but um, Commissioner, we still love you. It wasn't personal. Uh, I, I, I do know that you sincerely believe, and all of us, I think, agree in principle 
but uh, there were some certain technical uh, problems with uh, your resolution. I didn't want you to feel bad that it didn't get a second. Um, we all know your deep concern for the, the citizens here. And third and finally, um, I agree with what people have been saying to just stay at home, not go out. I have now left my house once in the last 24 days uh, to go to a place that I knew was deserted. Um, and I think that it is important if we're going to beat this that we need to just stay at home. And therefore, I will bring up again the irony of having an in-person commission meeting with, I believe, it's five commissioners there in person or, or four or five when we're telling everybody else to stay at home and we are failing to do that ourselves. We have the legal ability to meet virtually either with no commissioners there or just the mayor there and have everyone else call in. I think we should stop telling everybody else to stay at home while the majority of the commission or four or five of the commissioners are going in it in person, I just think it sends the wrong message. So I'm done. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you, sir. I, I, and my colleagues are, are spread apart six feet or more, and uh, everybody wore their mask in this morning, practicing social distancing. Uh, we'll go on to- I've been to watching on Vimeo. <laughs> We'll go on to uh, uh, Commissioner Furr. Uh, real easy. And he's got his mask I've on. I've got my mask he's on. He's ready can to you, go. Can you actually hear through this? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, not, not real not easy, real, real simple. Stay at home. Wear we one of these. You, <laughs> I don't think you can hear through these yeah. things. <laughs> oh, you can. You know, stay at home. Uh, wear a mask when you go out in public. I think we should be doing that these days. I know it's, I know it's starting to be uh, advised, but uh, when we're, we're all in the, these grocery stores together, and f for the sake of the people working there, as well as our own sake, um, for us all to get through this, I think I think it's probably a good idea. My wife has made one for every different color suit I have. <laughs> <laughs> so you matching get, it, so, matching entirely. So you give me fashion over. Exactly. You can do that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. We're doing it. We're doing it. Everybody be safe. Uh, uh, let's see. Commissioner, uh, Commissioner uh, Mr. Mayor, may I say yeah. one more thing? Yes, sir. <laughs> I just received an email from the county that Super City, city I reside in, is number three in the state in our census response rate. <laughs> Yay, Cooper City. All right, so you can prep. Well, you know, Geller, break. half of the people from the city of Hollywood are in my district, so your count is kind of off. Because <laughs> I uh, did my census, and I don't think our count's moving in Miramar that much. But um, I think um, uh, to Commissioner Richard's point, I wanted to add that I did call the United States Census um, customer service line, and they told me that if the zip code is incorrect, then you have a problem. But the, the cities. Um, can be incorrect and you still be counted in the right area. So the zip code on my census um, form was the correct zip code, but the city was incorrect. It was Hollywood. And for the record, I am not represented by Commissioner, Commissioner Geller, um, Senate Commissioner Geller. 
<laughs> it was a joke, Geller. Um, of course, have the, different history. <laughs> the last thing is... It um, would be difficult if you were in my district. <laughs> I know, but I'm being counted in your district, so I just want to let you know that. Um, also, I wanted to just um, ask if our lobbying team or our county could um, take a proactive stance to help the home health care agencies out there obtain masks. As you know, this has been an ongoing situation for weeks and weeks, and we have a lot of patients in home health care that um, have nurses, aides, um, LPNs, respiratory therapists that are going in and taking care of them. And I cannot stress to you enough how critical it is for home health agencies to have proper protective equipment. You know, um, I, I'm just letting you know how difficult this is and how, how, how it has been. For the masks that you guys are wearing right now, we normally spend a dollar and three cents to a dollar and 30 cents for an N95 mask. Currently, uh, people think that they're giving out good prices and they're trying to charge us $3, $4, five, six, seven. I even had somebody offer me $25 a mask. They've offered to sell us masks at $25 each. And let me tell you, when you're buying masks for hundreds of nurses, um, yeah, that doesn't work out very well. And I had one week where I spent $11,000 on personal protective equipment. 11,000 in one week to give my 250 nurses that I have working right now personal protective equipment. So if, if you are listening to this and you have access to masks, understand that these are disposable items. This mask that I'm holding in my hand right now would normally cost somewhere between 40 and 60 cents. This mask right now is being sold for $3 each. And it is, it is, people are saying that it's because of the shipping costs and because of um, the high demand, but there, it's the same product. It's being made the same way. Um, most of it is coming from China. And I think that we really need to be mindful about getting home health care workers the protection they need. I know that um, several have reached out to me via email um, through my, um, uh, my commissioner's email and um, have expressed the need for help with getting masks. Um, right now, a box of gloves that cost $4 previously, people are selling it for $25 a box. And that's 100 gloves. I'm telling you, this is an issue. Um, there are so many people that think they're doing us favors by getting these supplies, hoarding them, and then charging extra to try to make money. But this is a huge problem for us. And um, I'm asking for assistance from the state, from the federal government, from our lobbying team, from this county, to make sure that the senior citizens and the children and the vulnerable population that we take care of in our county are covered. And that means that we have to take care of our nurses and our professionals out there. So with, with that, I'm concluding my remarks. Thank you, Mayor. Yes. Uh, this situation that we're in will last for some time yet. Many in our community are suffering from medical conditions. But even more so, many are suffering economically. It's going to be devastating on this community. And as such, we got to do everything we can to help each other out. 
And with that, I want to thank Kathleen Cannon and, and the folks at the United Way for their work in raising funds to help some of, more, of our most vulnerable people. Uh, and I ask everyone to make a contribution to the United Way. And you may go to unitedwaybroward.org, unitedwaybroward.org, and help lend your support. Uh, they are supporting many organizations. 100% of the money they raise uh, will go to uh, people in our community, agencies such as 211, Feed in South Florida, the Urban League, Hispanic Unity, YMCA, Boys and Girls Club, ADRC, ARC, Healthy Mother, Healthy Babies, Covenant House, Homes, SunServe, Hope South Florida, LifeNet for Families, Feeding at many places also. Uh, they've helped 23 agencies so far. United Way is a partner with us for our annual event uh, for the Mayor's Gala. Uh, and as such, the contribution that we make uh, to them and the partnership we have, uh, we already have an agreement in place with them uh, to help with their fundraising. So with that, I also want to again thank all our staff and especially the ones that work directly for me, uh, Ms. Lorraine Gianetti, Lahoma Scarlett, Dr. Heidi Richards for uh, going above and beyond uh, in ensuring that we're providing the support that we need for the public. We've gotten hundreds of calls and hundreds of emails over the past uh, few weeks on many issues and many of it has to do with people needing help. Uh, some are facing homelessness, some are homeless. Uh, we have to work together to beat this virus and to be good on the other side where we can continue to work towards prosperity for all the people of Broward County. Uh, county Administrator, did you have? County Attorney? No. Nothing, Mayor. Thank you. Okay. I thank you so much. Uh, thank you. This, this, <laughs> this meeting is now adjourned. It was just uh, mayor writing down, making sure we look at your list of charities to make sure we're okay disclosure-wise. time for everyone in Broward County to be vigilant in helping to stop the spread of the COVID-19 virus. If you are sick, please stay home. Avoid close contact with anyone showing respiratory symptoms. Avoid directly touching public surfaces like handrails or gasoline pumps. Wash your hands frequently with soap and water for at least 20 seconds and use hand sanitizers that contain more than 60% alcohol. Cough and sneeze into a tissue or your elbow. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Avoid large crowds. When out in public, keep at least six feet between you and others. Finally, keep calm and try to maintain a healthy lifestyle. For more information, visit floridahealth.gov. Thank you.
Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da